Bibles for just a few moments, I want to direct you to the book of John chapter 4. And sometimes I fear going back to a familiar portion of Scripture because we are so familiar with it uh, that we sometimes close our mind before God can speak. And so I would pray that you would keep your mind open. I want to read beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down a few verses, probably down through verse number 7. He said, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea. Very important that I pause there for a moment. When Jesus heard that they were trying to make comparisons between John's baptizing and the disciples' baptizing, he got out of the country. God hates comparisons. God hates when you and I try to gauge who is better, who's doing more, who's got a greater ministry. God despises that and he left it. And the word left is powerful. It doesn't mean he just walked out. It means he left it because of the attitude that he had seen displayed there. Amen. He said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not staying in this atmosphere. And he went and he stayed the majority of his ministry in Galilee from that point forward. Most of his ministry took place in another region because of what he ran into in that particular area and that was his hometown. Amen. Now that's not even my message but that's something you better chew on for a little while. And he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse 4 And he must needs go through Samaria. Underline that statement. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7 said, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And I will close my reading with that portion of Scripture. I want to talk to you for a few moments about what God wants you to know about Him. What God wants you to know about him. I know that's not really a catchy title, but that's what I feel in my spirit. God bless you. You may be seated. The words of our text are both compelling and they are revealing. I must needs go through Samaria. Now, traveling 
through Samaria was not geographically necessary. There were other ways. As a matter of fact, as a Jew, most Jewish people, especially those who were of the religious order, avoided Samaria because Samaria was considered to be the dogs of society. They were looked down upon because of previous relationships with Israel. And so if you were a rabbi or if you were a Pharisee, you would avoid going through Samaria. And there were other routes. Most would have taken the journey across the Jordan River and gone down the river and then cross back over into their desired location just in order to make their way around this area of land that was despised and unwanted. And yet Jesus chose this destination. He chose to go to this place that most of his kind would have avoided. And he didn't just go there because that was the shortest route, although it perhaps was the quickest way to get there. He went there because he needed to go there. Everybody say he needed to. He needed. What what was there about this situation that created a need in God to want to go someplace. God who knows everything, who has everything, who is everything, has a need. He has a desire. He has a want. I must needs go through Samaria. And you and I know the story well enough to know what happened once he got there. But what I want you to understand is that God had a need. God had a desire. God had a want that he needed revealed. He needed exposed. He needed people to understand and grasp this knowledge so that it would help change and transform their life. And the only way he could expose this need was to come to this undesirable location and let that be the setting and the backdrop for what he was going to reveal. It was here in this place that was avoided that Jesus came because it was necessary, it was essential that he come here. It was compelled, he was compelled to go to this place. This is the gospel in its purest form as far as I am concerned because he was not there by accident. He was there by divine purpose and divine will. When we were singing these songs about Uh, saying to this mountain, my mind went to the book of Zechariah where that scripture is found and and that that statement is made to to help encourage 
uh, God's people in their endeavors of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city and rebuilding themselves after Babylonian captivity and all that happened to beat them down. The Lord brings them back into their land because he had a divine purpose for them. When Even when they went into captivity, he set a limit on how long that captivity would be. It would not be forever. And when that time came, it didn't matter who was on the throne. It didn't matter who was ruling. It didn't matter what was happening in the government of the world. God's divine plan was going to be unfolded and it was going to be revealed. And so he calls men like Nehemiah and and Haggai and Zechariah and Ezra and these men become the the, the catalyst that helps stir the people of God to do what God had called them back into their land to do. And yet they had great opposition. They had a, a, a lot of things that came against them. And finally, the Lord said to Zechariah, tell my people, it is not by might, nor is it yet by power, but it is by my spirit. What I'm calling you to do is not going to be accomplished by human ingenuity or human power. It's going to be accomplished by the spirit of the almighty God because I have purpose. I have planned. I have ordered for it to be done in that way. And that's where the scripture is. It says, who art thou, O mountain? Who are you? What do you think you are? And that's when we stand and we say to this mountain, Jesus picks up the pen in the New Testament and he teaches his disciples when they come to a mountain like that that tries to defy their purpose and defy their calling or defy God's will for their life then they are to say to this mountain, you are to speak to that mountain and say, mountain, be moved to that place there. You're not going to stop me because I have a divine calling on my life and a divine purpose. And that's what brought Jesus to Samaria, a divine purpose, amen, a divine will. It was not, he was not there by accident. He was there on a divine assignment. And what unfolds is truly an amazing story. For it is that incredible conversation that takes place between a very lost woman and a loving God. Amen. Aside from the cultural issues that make the story amazing, it is a dialogue of destiny between this woman of Samaria who comes to the well and just happens to intersect her life with Jesus who is sitting there waiting on her to arrive. Oh, listen to me. I want to tell you that before you ever woke up this morning and put your first piece of clothing on, before your mind was even alert to what you were going to do today and where you were going to go, God designed in His will to come and sit on the curb of that well and wait until 
until you got here so that you would know too that I have a divine plan and I have a divine purpose for your life and I am thankful today that before I ever thought about him, before I ever got up this morning, he was already preparing to meet me and minister to me. Praise God. Amen. The woman that came to the well, her life was rather soiled, if you could put it in those terms. It was pretty messed up. She was stained by sin. She was morally bankrupt. If you look at the pattern of her life, it was a pattern of failure, one after the other. Her soul was as empty as her water pot. If ever a person needed a friend, if ever an individual needed somebody, she needed somebody. She came at this hour. It was noon. It was not the time to come to the well. The well was something that they went to early in the morning or late in the evening because at noon the sun was at its zenith and it was so hot and arid that nobody came to the well at such an hour unless your life was so messed up and so marred and so muddied that you were embarrassed to be around anybody else and you were probably most likely considered an outcast and you were unwelcome to come at the appropriate time to get water. And so here she is coming out at the noon hour thinking nobody will be at the well. I won't have to converse with anybody. I won't have to talk to anybody. I won't have to give an explanation to anybody. I won't get any of those sideway glances and I won't get any of those looks when I come up because they know who I am. I've got the scarlet A on my life. I am a marked woman and I'm here because I don't want to meet anybody. And yet, when she arrives, sitting on the curb, was the one that was going to change her perspective on life. There sitting at the well was Jesus waiting on her to come. This woman who had five husbands and was not even married to the man she was living with, I would say she was an outcast. I would say she was not looked upon in the community as the woman of the year. Amen. Do you get the picture? It was pretty ugly. Only one thing mattered to this woman at this time in her life, and that was survival. I want to say something to some of you that are in that mode today. You're just trying to survive. You're trying to keep your head above water. You're trying to avoid all of the things that remind you of your life and your failures and your mistakes. And some of you have even been filled with the Holy Ghost, but you have not laid aside 
the condemnation and the guilt that clouded your life because those things are so deeply ingrained in you and they're so much a part of your life. You don't know how to exist without condemnation. You don't know how to exist without guilt. And though you came to an altar and you received His Spirit, you've not learned what the Spirit of God is really all about yet. And so you live under that cloud of condemnation and you live under that guilt and you're reminded often of how messed up you are and how messed up your life is and how many mistakes you've made. And nobody, nobody, nobody could love someone like that. And so her only thought was survival. Once once she had looked for satisfaction, once she had looked for approval, once she had looked for happiness, but now she just was trying to live and get by. And just survive. And now here at this well, something wonderful happens. She has a rendezvous with destiny. There at the well, she has a conversation with someone that changes her life forever. She would never be the same after this encounter. This Samaritan woman was deep in conversation with this man that she didn't seem to know or recognize. This was something that she had not done in a long time. She had not had a deep conversation with anybody because her life would not permit that. Her failures would not allow that. And yet here she was in deep conversation with this individual and she discovered some things about God that God wants us to understand and embrace this morning. And I pray right now, I am asking God to open your mind and your spirit and help you receive what I am about to say because what I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes can mean the difference between victory and defeat in your life and joy and sadness. I'm here to tell you there is something God wants you and I to discover about Him today that will change our life and change our attitude and change the way we look at life on a daily basis. This woman discovered, number one, that no matter how messed up her life was, Jesus had time for her and he loved her. No matter how messed up her life was, Jesus had time for her. He had time to talk to her and hear her story. You see, those around us right now may be tired of hearing our story. But Jesus was willing to give ear to a woman to listen to her story one more time, not so she could just repeat it, but so he could free her from the effects of that story and she would not live under the condemnation and the guilt because somebody loved her and somebody cared for her and somebody was willing to listen and somebody was willing to embrace her. Amen. There is never any divine hesitancy here. Her condition did not repulse him. Her failures didn't stop him because God loved her 
And God loves you and I and he wants us to understand that. That he has come to help us. That he has time for us. No matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how many failures we've made, no matter how many goof-ups, no matter how many black marks we have on our life, it doesn't matter what society has said about us. God has time for me today. And he has made time. He has made time. He must come to this place today because I needed some time with him. I needed him to minister to my soul and my heart. Jesus' only condition was simply this, if you would have asked. That's all that he asked of us, is just ask of me, and I would give you. That is the gospel, and that is the amazing strength of the gospel, that he that cometh to him, he will in no wise cast out. Amen. Amen. Number two, she discovered that God understood her. God understood her. A woman's sense of values had been twisted. They had been messed up. She had lived by hook or crook. She had made it through life however she could. She came looking for something she could carry back in her pitcher. And instead, God gave her something she could carry in her soul. Something that would change her life forever. What she needed was something that would change the inside of her life, not just affect the outside of her life. I can drink water, but I'm never satisfied. I can come to this well, but it's never enough. But Jesus met her that day to give her something that would satisfy and give Give her that fullness in her life where she would not have to worry. She would not have to look to this well for satisfaction because she had found a satisfaction that passed all understanding. He understands my most intense longings and he does understand who I am and where I am. Amen. Wherever I am. No matter what I've done. Maybe somebody in this building today feels like nobody really understands you. Or understands where you are. But I come to tell you, there is one who understands where you are. And it doesn't matter how many mistakes I've made. It doesn't matter how many failures have marked my life. He still wants me. That's amazing to me. Because, you know, you know we're not like that. Humans are not like that. If, 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 if I've, got a, I've got a little bit of patience and I've got a little bit of love. But you keep doing the same thing over and over. And I've got a limit to how much I can go. But God said, I don't have that limit. I'm not limited by your failure. Isn't that an amazing fact? He is not limited by my failure. Oh, that ought to make some of you 
rejoice today because you're still living under the condemnation of things you did 10 or 15 years ago. And every time you go to prayer, the devil or something brings that back up and you're reminded and you feel condemned and you feel so bad. I want to tell you, you need to look at that mountain and say, mountain, you're going to move today. You're not standing in my path. You're not stopping me because I know that he loves me and I know that he understands me and I know that he came for me and I know that he will forgive me he will forgive me amen he will forgive me number three God wanted them to understand that not only does he understand me but he wants me say that to yourself God wants me he wants me he wants me that's what he came for because he wants me you need to say that again. God wants me. He wants me. As messed up, as, as ugly, as marred, as messed. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter who I've been. That doesn't matter this morning because he wants me. He wants me because he wants to help me. He wants me because he can change me. And this is what's so amazing. That before she ever made a confession, before she ever faced and said one thing about her previous life, before she ever spilled the beans and yielded all the bitterness that had, that had, that had built up in her life, before she ever dropped her cynical approach to life and religion, and she had it. If you read the story, she was pretty cynical at one point. Her attitude toward life had been so soured and marred. But before she ever said anything, before she ever confessed anything, he just let her know, I love you and I want you. I'm here for you. That's what I came for today. I'm not here just to get a drink. I'm here to give a drink. Amen. Amen. God needs to give somebody a drink today. He wants to give somebody a drink today. He wants to give you something. He wants to saturate your soul with, with a knowledge and an understanding that He wants me. He loves me. Amen. Not only that, but God wants you to understand that He's here not to embarrass you, but to embrace you. I remember as a kid messing up one time and I got embarrassed in front of my family. And there was nothing more humiliating than being embarrassed like that in front of my family. And, and my failures were just exposed. And I was so ashamed until somebody came and they wrapped their arms around me and they drew me in and they hugged me. And in that one simple gesture, they let me know, doesn't matter what you've done, you're still mine. Oh, I feel like that's what God's been trying to do this morning. Just come up to some of us and, and give us a great big embrace. And, and, and we're afraid because we got such a messed up history and we got so many black marks on our, or we've, we, we've done stuff and said stuff. And even this week we said stuff we shouldn't have said about somebody in the church or somebody around. You know how that goes. We get on Facebook and our tongue gets loose and we say things that we shouldn't say and then we come back later and think, well, I may, no, I may, it's too late. It's already, the cat's already out. And so we got to try to drag that cat back in the cage and you can't do it. 
and the Lord's just been trying to get close enough to you. you some of you are like porcupines. Anytime anybody starts to get close to you, I don't know how you calm porcupines down, but I think the Spirit's trying to calm that spirit down because he just wants to embrace you. He just, he just, he wants, he's not here to embarrass you. He's not here to make a spectacle of you. He's here to embrace you and say, come on, you can do better than that. You're a better man than that. You're a better woman than that. I made you. I know what you're capable of. I created you. I know what I had in mind when I formed you in your mother's womb. Amen. I had a purpose for your life. And you need to stand up to that mountain that's before you, that's defying you right now, that's telling you you can't live for God or you'll never be able to do this or you'll never be able to live this. You need to stand up to that mountain and say, Mountain, you need to move today. You're going to move today. Come on, somebody. You need to stand up and declare it right now. I'm not being intimidated. I am loved. I am cared for. Amen. God's here for me this morning. He's here to embrace me today. He's here to love me. Amen. I'm hurrying to a close. God really wants to give you and I another chance at life. We may have done everything wrong and we may have done everything that should not have been done, but God still wants to give us an opportunity. It happened in the front of a bank in Brazil, in the city of Rio de Janeiro. A pitiful drunk was stretched out on the sidewalk from a night of heavy drinking. Passerbys carefully avoided stopping or stepping on him, but nobody Nobody stopped to offer him any help. Suddenly, something seemingly out of nowhere happened when a little yellow dog appeared and that little yellow dog began to jump on that man, yelping and licking face and hands, pulling on his clothes, pulling on his trousers, trying to get him up. The little dog worked incessantly to arouse this fallen man. A crowd gathered and began to watch, fascinated by the efforts of the dog. All of them were thinking it must be the man's dog. And he's found him and he's come to wake him up and get him out of the street. Somebody in the crowd even remarked that it was a true fact that a dog is a man's best friend. The dog continued to work. The crowd watched and the animal never rested. Never one moment rested in its efforts to rouse this man who had fallen. And little by little, this drunken man began to stir and show signs of returning to consciousness. Each sign seemed to encourage the dog to do more and renew its efforts and so more more uh, fervently the dog would pull on him and yelp and jump on him and, and pounce and nibble here and nudge there and pull and tug and lick and bark and jump up and down trying to rouse this man 
this dog faithfully pursued this one intent to get this man on his feet again. Finally, the man sat up and looked around. And when he did, the dog seemed to be pleased with his efforts. And finally, the man struggled to his feet. And everyone thought that the dog would stick around and wait for direction from his master. But much to everyone's surprise, the dog turned and trotted off after the man had regained his feet and went down the street, not waiting for a pat on the head or a word of thanks. The dog somehow had shown almost human understanding, and that was this. It wasn't the thing for a man to be down. It wasn't the thing for a human being to be living in such a place. And even a dog knew that's not where God designed that man to be. And so he's there pulling on him, pulling, wake up. You're not designed to be in this place. You weren't created for this purpose. Come on, get up. Get up, get up out of your condemnation. Get up out of your guilt. Get up out of all of those things that have come on, come on. You were made for better than that. And and there's and 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 I'm not comparing the spirit to a dog, but I'm just telling you that there's been something of that kind going on in this service today. We've sang about it. Who are you, old great mountain? And there's something been pulling on us saying, Come on, come on. You need to get up out of that stupor. You need to wake up out of that that mindset. You need to get away from that attitude. You need to stop thinking like that. I made you for better than that. I created you for a higher purpose than that. I made you for greater things. Amen. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise. Amen. I believe I sense what God is trying to do this morning. And that is help somebody get up. Somebody that's knocked down by life and all that's happened and be reminded again that somebody loves you. Somebody's here for you. Somebody cares for you. Somebody wants you. Somebody's here to embrace you. Somebody is here to give you another chance at life. Get up on your feet and say to that mountain, You will not stop me. Amen. Would you stand together with me right now? Praise God. Oh God, He wants to give you something back today. I believe God wants to get somebody on their feet this morning. I really do. I believe God wants to help somebody. I believe God wants to nurture back to life something that has been pushed down by guilt and condemnation and fear and doubt of who you are. I'm telling you, God loves you. God cares for you. God wants you. I don't know who you are. I, I don't. Now, now here's what we're going to battle right now. Some of us feel like if I get out and come to the altar, people are going to think something. Who cares what people think? Who cares what people think? It doesn't matter what people think. What's God trying to do? What God is trying to do is help get me to a better place and wake me up and get me out of my stupor and put me back.
back on my feet and help me understand God created you for better things. God designed you. He purposed for your life greater things and he wants to see those greater things come to pass. Who is God pulling on right now? God's been trying to pull on you the full service. Your fear has been overwhelming you. Your doubts have been greater than your faith. Your uncertainties, your questions. You don't know whether to live for God or not to live for God. You don't know whether truth is truth or what. You're so confused right now. There's something pulling on you right now saying, come on, get up out of that stupor. That's not what I created you for. I created you for better things. I'm opening the altar today. I feel like God's talking to somebody right now saying, come on. Come on, church. Come on, help me this morning. Help somebody make a start. Help somebody. They may not move right now, but if you move, they may move with you. Come on, church. Help me today. Amen. God is moving right now. God wants you to understand that he cares who you are and where you are and what you've done. He cares for you. Yes, he does. Find a place to pray, everybody. Everybody find that place to pray today because the Spirit of the Lord is talking and God is moving right now.